the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to follow Paul's words from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony in Christ through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We continue our study of the small catechism with the introduction of the Lord's Prayer. I love digging into the petitions of the Lord's Prayer because it is so rich. And if there is a tendency as you go through confirmation or even looking at the small catechism, you a lot of times we don't overlook the petitions, but we don't take our time in doing so. So today it's beauty, beautiful because it not only teaches us the richness of prayer, the truth of prayer, but also it confesses the truth of who God is himself. Our triune God who listens to these prayers he is in his will might be done. His kingdom might come. All of this comes together in prayer. So what kind of God is this that we pray to? We will find out, especially in the introduction. Dust off that little blue or maroon little book, Christ-filled, trusty book that has been with our church for generations. And let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. KFUO at KFUO.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome Pastor Tyson Bibb of Trinity Lutheran Church in Norburn, Missouri. Pastor Bibb, welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you. Thank you, Brady. It's a joy to be here. It's, it's wonderful to get to join you again. I got to, to do this on a different uh, program with KFUO, and now being able to join you on Concord Matters, it's uh, wonderful. It's, it's a joy. The joy is, joy is for all of us as we look at the small catechism. But before we get to that, as you said, Pastor Bibb, you've been on KFUO before, but this is your first time on Concord Matters. So tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at Trinity. Yes. Well, I serve at Trinity Lutheran Church in Norburn, Missouri. It's a wonderful, faithful, little confessional liturgical congregation tucked in the, the heart of Missouri. It's been here for 153 years by God's grace. And uh, we, we have kind of a, a unique thing that's happening in our congregation and that we've had, uh, well, the gift of a lot of children. So, so many times, you know, with small towns and small town churches, we lament that that people move away, they don't come back. But but here, again, by the grace and blessing of God, we've had a lot of kids come home and then they've stayed here and they've started families of their own. So, you know, in the last two years, I off the top of my head, I can't really remember for sure, had like six or seven baptisms. And we had, we're just on the verge of having a, our confirmation class really increase in size again. And so it's just a joyful time to be here to see the saints of God continuing to rest in the word and sacraments of Jesus and to receive the same on a, on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis uh, as, as Jesus comes to us in the divine service. And just to, to be involved in the life of this congregation, these saints who have been here for so many generations, it's, it's just a joy and a blessing. And that's a, I mean, I love, I love hearing that because like you said, we can get really down on whatever the realities are in the church. And, and sometimes we just need to open our eyes and say, holy cow, look at this. Thanks be to God, you know, that, that he has, has, has blessed his church. And then also in that same light that we need to continually pray to the Lord of the harvest, not only to bring workers into the, into the, uh, the harvest, but also that 
he brings people and it is by his Holy Spirit, not ourselves. And all the programs that I've tried to create or ideas I tried to create never match just proclaiming the word of God and, and the Lord answering our prayers. I mean, that's just, that's what it's all about, correct? That's exactly right. Amen. Yeah, the Lord will give growth by his spirit through word and sacrament according to his will, and we rejoice in that. Amen to that. So, so Pastor, we are here to talk about, to study God's word through the small catechism, because the small catechism, reminder to our listeners, is not a just a book that said, well, let's give you some basic truths. I mean, it is the word of God. And, and that's why it's in accordance with the word of God. And we confess it and we pray it and we study it, which we are doing today. We are studying the small catechism. We are using as our reference Luther's small catechism with explanation, which is the 2017 version from Concordia Publishing House. And we're on page 19. Now, Pastor, actually, I'm going to change it up a little bit from what we first intended is that it says on this, the Lord's Prayer. And then it gives us the Lord's Prayer and from Holy Scripture. And between there, it says these words, as the head of the family should teach it in a simple way to his household. This is a little bit strange to us because I know growing up, my dad or, or my mom or whoever was in the house didn't necessarily carry the small catechism around and start teaching it to me when I was watching a football game or something. So what is, what is Luther telling us and how does this play out in our world even today? Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And, and we have to remember that, you know, Luther back in, back in the, in the day, right. In his time, he had toured the different churches that were, as we know them now, Lutheran churches, and he found them to be in a terrible state. And you can read about that in, in both the, the short and longer preface of the catechism. And so he came up with these, these books, the catechism, this is a brief summary of Christian doctrine and specifically with the, with the small catechism. I mean, the same can be said of the large, but with the small catechism, it's really meant as a house book. And what I mean by that is Luther recognized the responsibility which God had given to parents, to, to fathers, to catechize their children, that is to instruct them in the Christian faith. And so that, that word catechism comes from the Greek catechane as the sense of echoing back and forth. And so that the father would, would teach then, or the head of household would teach the, their children in a simple manner, from Holy Scripture in this question and answer format that Luther laid out here. So it's really a house book. And so then the, the father, right, as the house priest, right, or the head, the head of the household would then teach the children in a simple way as it is laid out here. And so Luther just says pretty much here, parents, mom, dad, you know, teach this to your children because this is the, the summary and, and essence of Christian doctrine or Christian teaching. And it's so important that we don't, think that if you miss a day or you miss a time, or if we're not always the most excited to go through the small catechism that, oh, I failed. Or for you who are parents or grandparents or whatever it might be to say, oh my gosh, I didn't do that before. Well, that's where we pray that the Lord gives us opportunities because every day is a new day forgiven in our past and hopeful for the future for today to be in God's word. So just an encouragement as we look at this is, well, be in the small catechism because every single time I've gone through it, I've learned something new. So we're all learning this together. So Amen. pastor, how about we start, start confessing what is said in the introduction, which by the way, definitely is my favorite part of the petitions, the introduction. And it's, it's up there in my favorite parts, probably behind the second art, second, third articles. It is probably my favorite, the wording that Luther uses in the introduction. So I'm going to confess that now. 
as I would in my confirmation class. Once again, we're on page 19 of the small catechism. The introduction. Our Father who art in heaven. What does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father. Pastor, it's the introduction, but I think I even want to start even more basic because for you, our listeners, if you look at the small catechism with explanation, you can go to the back. So you're like, hmm, what does that mean? You can even go further back into the small catechism. And I first am going to go to the questions that are on page 231. And it's really this simple. It says, what is prayer? Because if you ask a lot of people what prayer is, they might not know, or they would have a whole bunch of different answers. But I love the simplicity of this. What is prayer? Prayer is speaking to God in words and thoughts. Now, Pastor, prayer is very simple, but yet very rich and deep. How do you want to start us off when we talk about prayer? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, as it says, there's such a good summary. Prayer is speaking to God in words and thoughts, right? So in your heart, in your mind, or, or even from your lips, right? And this reminds us even so much of what we confess at the very outset of Matins, if you, if you uh, make use of that particular prayer office, O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. That, that God calls us forth as his baptized children to simply speak to him, to call upon him in, in every need, right? To pray praise and give thanks that, uh, that we take upon the name of God on our lips because he's given it to us. And in this way, the Lord's prayer connects so much, I mean, certainly to the, the first table of the commandments. But when we look to the second commandment, God has given us his name. And as his baptized children, he's put that name on us, you know, baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so then we can speak to God as his children, those who've been cleansed and redeemed and chosen, separated from the unbelieving world and made God's own dearly beloved children, joined to Christ in his death and resurrection in baptism. And it's such a, a rich part because I'll, I'll agree with you right there. I love the introduction because it gets into so much of what it is to be God's child, this, this relationship that God has established with us. So it really is an identity piece that, and we're going to get into this in the introduction. And I love how you put that together is this conversation or words that are spoken to God right away show who we are, because if we're able to talk to him, it means we have, if I can say it this way, a relationship. How do you want to, any thoughts on that? Because that's a very important aspect of prayer. Yes. Yeah. And, and as it is with, with prayer, so it is with the relationship that we have to God, that he is the one who establishes it. He is the one who has called us to faith by his spirit, working through word and sacrament. He has made us his child, right? So, and we remember some of these basic things like baptism is not us giving ourselves to God. Rather, it's God giving himself to us. He chooses us. He calls us by the spirit to faith in Jesus Christ. And so God initiates this. You know, you, you get into, if, if your listeners want to, uh, you know, dig into something real, real deep and have fun, you know, tool it around in theological definitions to look up divine monergism, right? That God is the one who's solely responsible for our salvation. But as it pertains to the, the simple plain meaning here, the Lord's prayer is the reason why we call on God in prayer and even call him our father as we do in the introduction is because he has made us 
his children. And he is our beloved heavenly father. In fact, even where the Lord's prayer falls in the catechism speaks to this because first we have the Ten Commandments, right? The law. And we know the three uses that there there is a curb to curb gross outbursts of sin as the second use is a mirror to reveal our sin or show us our sin. And the third is that Christian use right? As, as a guide. And so then we have the law there, which reveals our sin and, and reveals to us the standards of God. And then we're driven then to the creed where we confess the God who has created us, redeemed us, and sanctified us, right? Answering some of those questions of what it is to have a God. And now then in the Lord's Prayer, this is what we as God's children, those who've been created, redeemed, and sanctified, these are the words that Jesus has placed upon our lips, even as the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, and so he has said, pray this way, our Father. And it's, it's something that is so personal and very important that we understand who we are praying to. And I want to I reflect on this a little bit because when it starts with our Father who art in heaven, and then also in the explanation which says, invites us to believe that he is our true Father, this confesses something in our world that is different than how the world speaks. So, for example, if you were to post online, I'm going to have surgery on Thursday, I ask for your prayers, which is, that's what we do as Christians. We, we ask for that. People will write, my prayers are to you, or my prayers and good thoughts are for you, or something along those lines, that we have to be careful as Christians that we speak about God <laughs> when we're talking yes. about prayer yes. and, and making sure that that relationship is correct because otherwise, what are we exactly are we praying to? Are we praying to God? Are we praying to some other idol? And this is a yes. big issue in the whole Bible. So any thoughts on that, Pastor, the importance of confessing who we are praying to and knowing whom we are praying to as well? That's a great point because nowadays and with just the increasing paganism all around us and unbelief all around us, we need to recognize and, and we need to, more than that, confess who this one true God is that we're praying to. And again, this recalls to mind the second commandment that we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name. But the positive use then is to call upon his name in every trouble to pray praise and give thanks so that when we're wow. when we're praying and we're asking God to to grant healing, to grant peace, to bless people, that's the right use of his name because again, we've been authorized by God as his baptized children to call upon him. I mean, he wants us to do this, right? There there's a command that also comes with prayer and we shouldn't overlook this, but it's because God says you're not going to get good from anyone else because I am the only source of good. And, and I want that good for you. I want that good for your neighbor. So, so here, have my name, right? It's as though God gives us the keys to the car. He says, here, drive it, just don't wreck it. Use my name to call upon me in every trouble to pray, praise, and give thanks. Call on me to bless other people because again, I am the one who kills and makes alive. I am the one who has sent forth my son and my spirit that you might have life through the shedding of his blood and his resurrection. And then the spirit who then gives us faith in Jesus. And then it's through faith that we receive these gifts. God literally is the source of everything good. And so then he gives us his good name 
that we might call upon him in order to bless our neighbors. So again, we always want to be clear, like you said, to confess that we're calling on the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to bless and keep, protect, heal, that his will be done, because that's the the overarching thing. You know, the child of God wants the things of God. And what do we want? his will to be done. And he, we want his will to be done among us also, as we're taught to pray later on in the, in the Lord's Prayer. But we, we call on God's name for the blessing of our neighbors. It is interesting to me too, and this is a thought that I heard from Dr. John Kleinig, who, who spoke about one of the powers of the Lord's Prayer, and speci- specifically, is that this is Jesus's prayer. Yeah. You know that he 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 gives us his own prayer, yeah, and then and then it just shows us that our Father in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, just once again, Jesus literally pulls us up to to himself and says, "Hey, you know, this is my prayer, and you're part of this relationship or this family as well." Any thoughts on that, Pastor? Yeah, and, and in fact, you know, you can almost picture it in your mind's eye when we look at. At Jesus's giving of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11 is where we find that. And this is the ESV mm-hmm. translation. But starting at verse one, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he, Jesus said to them, right? And then he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Again, that's the ESV translation. So uh, some differences, you know, in the the and thy and whatnot. But nonetheless, you know, you get the sense, you can see in your mind's eye, one of the disciples is watching Jesus pray or maybe comes upon Jesus just as he finished his time of prayer. And he says, teach me to pray. And so then Jesus says, okay, when you pray, say this. You know, these are the words that that Jesus puts into our ears, into our hearts and minds that they might be on our lips and that we speak back to God the very words that he has given to us to pray to him. And there's such confidence in that because, again, the, the Lord's Prayer is the perfect prayer. Everything that you could ever need, right, not just for this temporal life, but even for eternal life and praying that God's name be hallowed and that his, his kingdom come and his will be done. All of it's in there. This is part of the richness of what Luther does in the small catechism as he, as he unfolds the Lord's Prayer and the petitions there is you begin to see that there's nothing that you're not praying for. Or to put it in the positive, everything that you could ever want or need is included in these petitions of this prayer. And so Jesus gives us really the perfect prayer. And you know, there's never a time where it's inappropriate to pray the Lord's Prayer. And mm. I mean, how many times have you found yourself in, in this position where you're just like, Something happens and, and you know, you're either called upon to pray as a pastor or even as, as a husband or a father, or maybe you're just driving down the road and so you just see some disaster unfold in front of you. And, you know, Luther always told, has taught us, you know, pray, Lord, have mercy in those times. But it's also not wrong. In fact, it's always right to pray the Lord's Prayer because anything that you could ever ask for is included there. We do have a tendency, and I would say definitely had more of this when I was younger, and I still, you know, maybe rebel without a cause might be a right term for it. Is he like, oh, we just, we just, we just do it and we don't take it serious. You're not uh-huh. really thinking through it. And, and one, the power in it is, first of all, it's the word of God. And so the Holy Spirit is working through that. So let's not forget that. that let's not, let's not to dismiss God's word, but also when you even give a, a second 
thought or a slight thought about the depth of what's in there is just to say our father in heaven is very profound because it shows not only that we are his true children, right? Dear children, as yeah. it says, but that, that almighty God invites us to be part of him. I mean, yeah. the crea- creator of all things and the, the richness that is there is so powerful that my goodness, I should be praying at 10 times a day, no matter what I'm doing or where I am. Other thoughts you have on that? Well, yeah. And it's actually that you mentioned, you know, I know you're just kind of throwing 10 out there as like an arbitrary kind of thing, but but when we look to the table of, uh, not the table of duties, when we look to daily prayers, you know, later on in the catechism, if you were to mm. follow every time that Luther, you know, advises or, or gives the recommendation, you know, pray the Lord's Prayer at this time, it would be at least eight times a day that you're praying the Lord's Prayer when you rise up mm. in the morning, you know, recognizing that every time you rise up in the morning, it's because God has preserved you through the night. It's kind of like a little miniature resurrection. It's a, it's a rehearsal for the last day when Jesus calls you from your, your final slumber to eternal life in paradise, right? And then when you when you go to sleep at night, you're asking the Lord to, that his holy angel be with you, that the evil foe may have no power over you if you're praying Luther's evening prayer. But also in the context of that, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And then so also at every meal, such that if you kept count, you would you'd pray the Lord's Prayer at least eight times a day, right? And and I'm going to offer mm-hmm. up some insights here from, from Pastor Whedon regarding this in his book, uh, uh, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey. But uh, regarding this, he says, we already ha- we've already noted that the Lord's Prayer is used several times during the daily prayers, right? In that section of the catechism. He says that one uses it faithfully morning and evening and asks the blessing and, and return thanks at three meals each day. One some ends up reciting the Lord's Prayer at minimum eight times a day. Now, surely you might be thinking that's a bit much. No, yet the church's experience with this prayer that Jesus taught us is that we can literally live inside it all the days of our earthly pilgrimage. I mean, think about it like this. Is, is there ever a time when we don't need to remember that we have a Father in heaven who loves us, that we are his true children, and that we can with all boldness and confidence ask anything of him as his dearly beloved children? Is, is there really a time that we ought not be asking for his name, which is holy in itself, but for it to be kept holy in our own lives by speech and deed? Is there ever a time when asking for the gift of his kingdom is out of place since we're actually asking to receive the Holy Spirit that we might believe God's holy word and lead godly lives here in time and hereafter in eternity? You know, and so all, also with the rest of the petitions, we ought always to be praying the Lord's will to be done because it's always good. And, and it's always for our benefit and for the benefit of our neighbor that the Lord's will be done because his will is that all would hear the preaching of his word and by the spirit repent and then be given that gift of faith, which the spirit gives in and through the gospel that we might cling to Jesus and then receive the benefits that he won for us through the shedding of his holy, innocent blood on the cross and his consequent to triumphant resurrection on the third day. I mean, we have everything from our Father in heaven, you know, the giver of every good and perfect gift, as St. James says. And so here in the introduction, we're just we're right at the very tip of this massive iceberg of, of, of grace and blessing and every good gift. And, and the Lord is actually telling us, I want you to say this to me. One very profound insight that I've, I've heard from, ironically, a confirmation student. And, that's, and that, that brings back all these great memories of, of questions that young people will ask. And so one time I asked them, like, well, well do you enjoy praying? And the kids all kind of, you know, they probably 
felt obliged to had to, you know, right. say that they well, the enjoy rain. Yeah, I do. I, I love rain. And and one one young lady just just I just remember this very specifically. I said, well, "Why do you guys like to pray?" And she said this because when I pray to God, He doesn't tell anybody else. And I think that relates so well with what, exactly what you were just saying. All the blessings and all the richness and the answering and the listening and everything from God. It, and it comes back to this simplistic reality that for, for a junior high student that if I tell my parents, I'm not sure if they're not going to tell the other. Um, if I tell my friends something, I'm not sure if they're going to keep it to themselves. If I tell my teacher something, they might not keep it to themselves, but God will. And that yeah. establishes that relationship once again with God. Pastor, with about a minute left before our break, your last thoughts, well, there's a whole lot, but before our break, your last thoughts on that or anything else we've said so far. Well, I mean, it, it just reminds us of of the the imagery that is that is truth, right? That we are God's adopted, baptized children. And so then it, it's as if he calls us up into his lap and says, my dear child, what is it that you would ask of me? And we can look up at him and we can smile and we can say, Father, and then ask, you know, pray this prayer. And, and everything that we need, again, is included in this. And even our even when we, we ask for forgiveness, he gives it for the sake of Jesus. And we have that confidence so that, again, going back to what that young lady said, you know, I can tell God and he won't say anything to anyone else. We confess our sins to our father and he forgives. Mm -hmm. we, we hear this language all the time as confessional Lutherans. And I think sometimes we, we let it wash over us and we don't think about it. But we, we do live daily in the grace of God. His mercies are new every morning in Christ Jesus. And you, dear saint, repentant saint, are forgiven of your sins. Well, thanks be to God, but we need to take our break right now. We are studying the introduction to the Lord's Prayer and Luther's small catechism, and we will be right back. Family, end-of-life issues, procreation, health, human suffering. These are the issues you or your loved ones have or will face in life. I'm Stephanie Jabauer. I invite you to join me and other Friends for Life in a community where the people of God share His Word and their experiences on life issues. Friends for Life, an LCMS partner podcast of KFUO with new episodes on the second and fourth Fridays. Find us on your favorite podcast platform and the KFUO app. Welcome back. We are studying the introduction of the Lord's Prayer in Luther's Small Catechism with Pastor Tyson Bibb of Trinity Lutheran Church in Norburn, Missouri. Now, Pastor, we I feel like we're just scratching the surface of all the richness that, that is through the Lord's Prayer. I did want to highlight this as you quoted Pastor Will Whedon's book about, about the Lord's Prayer, that if we were to just follow the simple, simple, simple instructions from the small catechism, which really I mean, if you were just to read through the small catechism, what what would it take? Ten minutes? I mean, it just wouldn't, wouldn't take very long well, at all. It's, at the it's, most. it's brief. Yes, it's very brief. That's why it's called small catechism. But to to think about this is if we were to do it eight times a day, that actually would hit all the petitions. And I think about how, like you said, it's the perfect prayer, ironically, from God Himself, that it touches everything because every day I need His will to be done. Every day I need forgiveness. Every day I need, Lord, help me not to be tempted. Yeah. Deliver me from evil. And then every day, well, it'd be actually nine times anyways. But with the, if you had the conclusion, it would have to be nine times. But 
but you know, that to you be all the glory. I mean, every single time we would pray it, you would have a different emphasis. Lord, you know, you're the father in heaven. I mean, that'd be one time and thy will be done. That'd be another time. I just, like you said, it is all encompassing. So I encourage our listeners to consider praying the Lord's prayer every day, maybe eight times. And if so, guess what? You could probably do even more. So it's just a, it's a great reminder for us to just keep praying. Pastor, as we continue on, what are your first thoughts on the side of the break? Well, you know, you brought up just, you know, that it could be, it could be prayed anytime appropriately throughout our day. And if we were to follow Luther's simple advice, you know, it'd be, wouldn't that be great? Eight times. It's just that nice, you know, eighth day imagery there to that. But, mm. but thinking of the, the context of our lives and even the context of where this prayer falls in the catechism, there's this realization that we're still in the flesh. We, we are still living in this temporal world. And so then we have uh, the devil, the world, our own sinful flesh set against us. And so then Jesus gives us this prayer also as a defense against the devil and all his wiles. And I, I want to share with you another, another resource. I just I've kind of got my books all laid out around me here. There's so much good stuff. Um, <laughs> but let's see, I, I tempted just to say, to say Chuck, but it's, it's Charles Aaron. you know, we know him as a, mm-hmm. a wonderful, faithful professor here, but he has a section in, in a book that he's written on the Lord's prayer. And I think it sets the context beautifully. So it's brief. I want to share it with you. And then it just, I think further uh, colors in some of what we have here. So he says, Satan is defeated, but he's not yet been banished forever. The world, the flesh, and the devil still remain active until Christ returns in glory. Having failed to prevent Christ from accomplishing redemption, Satan now devotes himself to preventing us from enjoying the gifts of redemption. Satan works hard to convince us that Christ's forgiveness does not apply to us. In this way, he seeks to deprive us of faith and of the gifts of Christ. So now we find ourselves on the front line of the battle between God and Satan. Christ does not rescue us in order to let us slide back under those jailers and tyrants, right? We don't have a, a spirit of, of slavery. It's a spirit of sonship that we've been given. So he says here, in this battle, prayer becomes one of our most important weapons. In prayer, we turn our back on Satan and turn to, in the large catechism, Luther identifies two reasons for prayer. First, it's the, the command. God does not want us want to hear from us only when we have a moment to spare. Rather, God insists that we pray because no one else can help us in our battle with unbelief. It is as if God were to say, pray, ask me for help. I want to help you. Again, we're God's dearly beloved children. And then second, we have God's promise to hear our prayers. So for Luther, the promise is the basis for praying with confidence. To put it in the words of the small catechism, it's so that with all boldness, right, and confidence, we may ask God as dear children ask their dear father. And so he he promises to give us all that we need, including defense against the devil, all his wiles, his works, and his ways, that, that God is there to defend us from that. And so, you know, there, there's this understood rightly, see sort of mixed with joy in that we can, we can go to the Father knowing and having boldness and confidence that he will hear us for the sake of Jesus. And that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're actually beating back the devil and, and finding our rest in God and his promises. I do wonder how often I would see prayer that way, where you are actually seeing this as a Ephesians 6 type of situation. Yes. Where you are, you know, it's, a, it's a battle that you are actually keeping back the devil from tempting us and making us question the Lord and, and all of this, which brings me to this question that often, uh, what, 
Pastor David Fleming, who is uh, the executive director of, of care and counsel at, for uh, doxology. And one time he had a presentation and his presentation basically talked about, he talked about prayer and spiritual warfare. And he spoke about this, that it's amazing how prayer can be so difficult to do. Because if you want to make someone feel really guilty, you ask them, how's your prayer life? And all of us will admit it's not very good. Yeah. Because we, we forget so much. I mean, Pastor Bib, you have, you have presented so many gifts that are given and it fights the devil and temptation and all of these things because of the word of God. But yet, why is it so difficult for us to pray? And if you're, like I said, if you want to make someone feel guilty, ask them that question and they'll be guilty all day. So what, what's your thought? Why is it so hard to pray? Well, we have to remember the thing that, that Luther continually returns us to is this reality of spiritual warfare. I mean, in baptism, right, we're, we're, we're made new creations in Christ, right? Second Corinthians 5, 17, that we're joined to Christ's death and resurrection, Romans 6, that we have this washing of rebirth, renewal in the Holy Spirit, Titus. And so um, we're, we're, we're given this identity and we've talked about that. And so now, and, and you know, I, I share this with people when I talk about baptism, both in confirmation and when I'm speaking with parents before the baptism of their child, that, you know, when the sign of the Holy Cross is made upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified, there's also like a target being painted on you. And the devil's like, hey, another one's been taken from me. I'm not happy about that. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to unleash all my, all my temptation on this, on this one. But we have to remember that, that, Satan is overcome. And so we, we rest in that victory that Christ has won over the devil and that he gives to us when we go and, and take refuge and comfort in the Lord's prayer and these promises of God that are found here. And then, so th there's that part of it, right? We do, we're dealing with the devil. Then there's the, the world, right? Which is in league with the devil and constantly you know, regurgitating all kinds of terrible lies and temptations and saying, look, you know, all these things are so much better than the promises of God, which of course they're not. But so much of the spiritual battle that we deal with is, is even in ourselves. And Paul, he digs into this big time in Romans chapter seven, this, this inner struggle, you know, the, the good that I want to do, I don't do, but the evil that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And, and this here, this is the setting for prayer, that we go to God, that we take refuge in him, that we ask for his name, his, his will to be done, his kingdom to become, so that he sends us his Holy Spirit, that we might believe his word, that we might hold fast to Christ, that, that we trust him. Because again, going back to that, there's that, that guilt uh, with prayer. And, and God would not have prayer be a guilty thing. Rather, he would, it would have it be a place of rest and refuge. As we think of like Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. The very basis of, of the hymn of mighty fortress, that, that God is this fortress that we can take refuge in. And he's, he's always right there in the sense of we're standing on the battlefield. And, and even as Paul, when you look carefully at his words, and as you brought him up in Ephesians 6, that we stand, right? That we stand mm -hmm. firm because the one who fights for us is Jesus Christ, right? And before us fights the valiant one, all right, the, the, the son of God, right? He, he holds the field forever, holds the field victorious. And so we take refuge in him in this prayer that, that we as, as God's dearly beloved children, you know, this is probably going to sound way too schmaltzy, but we cozy up to him, right? <laughs> as a child does to their father and he shields us and protects us and he gives us his promises. He lavishes his gifts upon us and he delights to hear us pray. It's, it's such a joyful comfort to just, to just 
pray and to be there in God's presence. And this is, I'm kind of paraphrasing. This is probably even a paraphrase of a paraphrase, but you know, pastors love to do the, well, Luther said one time, and also I'm going to do that now, but, but Luther, you know, was once talking about prayer. And again, this is Pastor Bibb's paraphrase. That's probably a paraphrase of some other pastor's paraphrase. So I, I need to look up where we actually find this. But Luther was saying, you know, I have so much, so much to do that, you know, it's like, I, I can't possibly get it all done. But then he says, therefore, I'm going to need to spend an extra hour in prayer mm, yeah. because we, we need to approach the day that the Lord has given us in recognition of, of, first of all, our identity, rising and blessing ourselves with the Holy Cross as, as Luther teaches us to do in the daily prayers, and then pray the Lord's prayer, pray the Our Father. Uh, and and rest in these promises, being reminded of who we are, who God has made us in in our baptism, and then resting in all these things which God has promised to do for us. That we then take this these words that Jesus has taught us, and we speak them back to Him, knowing that He hears us and that He will answer according to His good and gracious will. One of the real, I've read a number of books on prayer, and I would say that I've learned something about prayer. In all of them. So this is not a, I like how you exactly quoted Luther there because it it just, it brings such a rich and full understanding because when you understand who we are in Christ, you're able to pray differently. And also when we look at how Luther lays out the Lord's prayer petitions, he's very explicit about always pointing to who God is. Yes. Because I think about it this way. If prayer simply is talking to God in words and thoughts, well, I tell you what, if, if I want to share something with somebody else, I want to fully know who this person is. If I'm going to pour my soul out to them, especially, you know, I'm going to share some of my, my struggles or, or, or even my joys, that there's certain people that you share that with and certain people you don't. And so the language here that I wanted to hear more from you here, Pastor, is it says, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children. So that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children, ask their dear father. He boldly confesses who God is. And not only we've been talking a lot about who we are in relationship to him, but it really tells us about who God is. And he he proclaims it in a way that we don't often speak. How would you describe or or even unpack more of that, how Luther describes God or proclaims God to be when we pray? And this is where, again, the large catechism sheds a lot of light on this, that, that, that again, I am God's child. It's that proclamation that comes out of baptism, which, again, is something which God has done for us. God is the one who baptizes us. He simply uses the pastor to do it. And so... We can go to to the Lord knowing that we are his baptized children and rest in in that truth and that identity that, again, you know, there's so much talk of identity nowadays and all the different ways it goes. And what we see is exactly where unbelief leads when we reject God's word, we reject the, the sacraments and, and what the Lord has given to us for our forgiveness, life, and salvation, that, that he is our creator, right? Sorry, just processing thoughts. He's our creator such that, uh, you know, Luther goes back, sorry, I've got like three different texts in my brain at one time. In, in the first article of the creed, a large catechism, he says, I am God's creature. That statement right there, I am God's creature, how profound that is, that if we would just meditate on that and have a clear understanding of that based on Holy Scripture, that I am God's creature, that that would really set forth 
so many or set straight so many things in our that that we could rejoice in, that we could rest in, that we'd have security in because God is the one who has created me. He's made me the way I am. Like for instance, in the context of so many of today's conversations, he's made me male on purpose and that's a good thing, right? Mm. Or with or with ladies, he's made you female on purpose and that's a good thing. And he has he has good purposes for you in that. But even over and above that, being God's baptized child, he chose you. There's no mistake here. And 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 this God who chose you is the same God who has created all things. You know, you look out the window and you see the beauty of God's creation and you recognize that he not only created that, that he continues to uphold it and you are his creation also, that he continues to uphold by his mighty power, by his word and sacraments, and even as his baptized child with the Holy Spirit, whom he has given you, your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have this, this identity as his child really answers a lot of the, the questions of our of our age. And there's great security in that because God has told you who you are. And, and that is, speaking of this baptismal reality, it's a good thing. And we also, mm. we, we shouldn't get away from the fact that with the law, God tells us who we are. He, he says, you're sinners and, and you deserve death and hell. But I have sent my son that you might have through faith in him, forgiveness, life, and salvation. And it is for his sake that I forgive you your sins. I have made you my child in baptism. I continue to feed you with my word and with the very body and blood of Jesus so that you might have all things, that he's clothed us in his righteousness. He's, he's given us citizenship in his kingdom, that we're his beloved children, so that, such that we can say as baptized children of God that we are sons and daughters of the king, of the king of heaven. Uh, this one true God is not just our God, he is our father. And again, that takes us back to these introductory words of the Lord's prayer. So I don't know if that answers your question. I'm sorry I kind of babbled on there a bit, but no, that was if it was babbling, it was good babbling. I'll say that because <laughs> it, it constantly reminds us of who God is and the depth of, like, for example, this confirmand when she brought that up, that that it was not simply that finally have someone who would be confidential, is that she had a good understanding of what kind of God that she has, that the true God of who, of who God is. That that's how she understands him to be one yeah. that she can speak to. And that shows that she's, she saw him as what scripture simply says is, and I think it's well put here when it talks about that we can go with boldness and confidence to him. We may ask as dear children, ask their dear father. Now, pastor, I do want to capture this for a moment is your father. I'm a father. Yep. One of our hopes and, and, and the Lord have mercy realizations. Our hope is that we want our children to come to us when they are struggling in their joys. We want them to come to us and be able to speak and, and to be able to know we're going to listen and that we're going to be patient and that we're going to give them good advice, that we're going to be forgiving. We want all, we want our kids to know that. However, we, well, for example, it says that the Lord neither, neither slumbers nor sleeps. Yeah. Well, the reality is a lot of times my kids want to talk to me at 1030 at night when I'm exhausted <laughs> and you're just like, oh my gosh, you're falling asleep. But the language here, which one shows us how we want to be as fathers, but also shows us our dear father. So talk about that a little bit as a father, what we want to do and the joy of being able to lean on our heavenly father who does it perfectly. Your thoughts. 
Yeah. And this constantly drives us to both repent of our sin and to rejoice in the forgiveness we have in Christ, right? Because especially as we look like the table of duties and we see what the Lord has laid forth for us there, which in so many ways, the table of duties is just like quoting Ephesians, because this is all just what the Bible says about these different vocations that God has in mind. But but as fathers, we are to instruct our children in the Lord's word. And we see with God what what the perfect fatherhood looks like, right? That he's he's patient, he's long-suffering, he's infinitely wise, he's loving in a way that we could, <laughs> we, we, first, I mean, we have a hard time describing the, the full context and nature, beauty of God's love, and then that we're to embody that to our children. And it, it, you know, it brings us to our knees, you know, oh Lord, have mercy on me a sinner and I believe help my unbelief. But even then, you know, that is part and parcel of teaching our children the word of God. It, and in teaching him what it is to be God's child is because we recognize that we, even as fathers, are also God's children. And so this pattern of repentance and faith, it's, it's, this is how we live our life. We rise every day in repentant faith, right? Confessing our sins and rejoicing in this baptismal reality that God has made us his own. And so, you know, the best we can do as fathers is to clearly and simply teach the, the words of, of God, right? The word of Jesus to teach the Bible to our children. And Luther has given us a beautiful tool in that the summary, the summary teachings of the whole Bible are found there in the small catechism. And so, you know, this is why we're never done with it. You, you can't toss the, the catechism in the corner and say, well, I'm glad I learned that. We're done with that. No, we're always returning to the catechism. You know, we cannot finish learning what God has not stopped and will not stop teaching. And so we just continue to come back to basics and teach our children to be there to listen to them. And all the while, you know, being a father, it, it drives us to prayer, you know, not only in, in repentance, but also, Lord, give me wisdom, give me discernment, give me patience. We, you know, we look to the, the fruit of the spirit and we say, you know, Lord, I need all of that. And not just for myself, but for the sake of of my marriage, for the sake of my children and as pastors, for the sake of my congregation, because God has made us fathers. We have to realize that this is a, a vocation, a calling, an office into which he has placed us as, as fathers, as husbands, for us as, as pastors. And, and being a child is also a vocation. In fact, being God's child, a Christian is the first vocation that he's called us to be his own in the waters of baptism. It is... Uh, to get a, a story in once again is I remember when I was in high school, there was one time, I can't remember the whole situation, but basically it was something went wrong and it could have easily been fixed. And then I tried to fix it myself and it got worse. And then, and then something else happened and made it worse. And by the time it actually gets revealed to my, it's pretty bad. You're like, okay, this could have been solved a long time ago. And it yeah. was easily fixed even then. And I remember my dad asked me this and it's always stuck with me as he said, Brady, was there any reason why you felt like I would not listen and be gracious with you? Something like he didn't say those exact words, but and, and and it was one of those moments where you realize one that he would have been gracious because he was gracious at the the pinnacle of the problem. Like it became even worse, and he was still patient. And it was a teaching moment for me to realize, yeah, I could go to him. For these yeah. kind of things. And did I know that before that point? Absolutely I did. But I need a reminder. And that's why this introduction, I think, is so vital for us, for you, our listeners, 
to read because when we feel guilty for not praying, we're not praying like we should, we're not listening as fathers as we should, we're not doing all these vocations as we should. How simple, think about this, this is like two lines. I mean, it's three lines. It's so simple, it's so, but it is foundational to everything we have. That guess what? Um, would not God be gracious with you and you bring this up? Would not God be gracious with yes. you when you live out your life? Would he not be gracious? And it's all packed full into this. Pastor, we have about five minutes left in our time. So I want to make sure you get even more. As he said, he has like five books in front of him. So I want you to highlight the last few things that would encourage our listeners in prayer. Well, you know, sometimes I think we're tempted to believe that like, oh, I'll pray to God about this, but I can't say this to him. Uh, going back to what mm. you'd said. And, and I mean, first of all, we need to remember God knows all things. He, he knows our <laughs> thoughts even before we think them, right? He, he knew the days that were written in our life even before as yet there were none of them. I mean, he knows all things. And so God invites us, tenderly invites us to come to him with everything because he is the sole source. He is the fountainhead of all good in our lives. You know, even as, as Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So also with prayer, Lord, to whom shall we go? No one else is truly good as you are good. No one else can, can hear and answer and even has the power or authority to do these things, which I would even ask of you. And so he, he, he wants us to come to him. Now, um, it's interesting in, in, so the catechism explanation, page 233, and it's ironically also question 233, it talks about the, the kinds of prayer that we find in the Bible. And I think this is worth spending even just a couple minutes on you know, thinking about, we've, we've talked so much about uh, how, we're, how we're God's child. This is the relationship that he has initiated with us. He has chosen us. He has made us his own. And so now he tenderly invites us to, to pray to him. And so the first one there is confession in which we acknowledge our sins to God. We see these prayers in the Bible and the Psalms and the penitential Psalms, but then we can go to God and confess our sins and rest in that because we know that there is forgiveness in Christ Jesus that God moved heaven and earth, that he incarnated, he took on flesh and came to us in, uh, in the person of his son. And all those sins that we, that we have committed in thought, word, and deed, or, or that we have you know, neglected something, he's taken all those sins in himself and died on the cross that we might have forgiveness, life, and salvation. You know, Luther called this the happy exchange or where, where he, Christ takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness, right? And so we can lay hold of these gifts through faith, and we do through faith. So the first, the first kind of prayer is confession, or at least that they have labeled here. And the second is a request in which we seek God's help, and it points us to Psalm 22. But we can, we can go to our Father and say, Father, please, you know, I need this, or this person needs this, or, oh, Lord, would you grant me this? And so this is also a thing, I'm getting excited here, when it comes to, to prayer, when we read scripture, you can be praying through the scriptures. So as you see something, you can ask for it and, and ask God to give it to you. So for instance, I've got, I've got you know, one of my Bibles open here to, to Matthew 7, where Jesus mm -hmm. teaches us, judge not that you, that you may not judge. Lord, help me to not be judgmental in, in an unholy way. Do not, do not allow me to think that I can set up uh, judgment over my, my brother or sister in Christ because you alone are judge. And so help me to rest in your judgments, right? And that when it comes to your word, may I see things rightly. Give me discernment according to your word so that that which you call good, I call good. That which you call evil, I call evil. And that I rest always in what your word has revealed to me. And then the third part, the third type of prayer is intercession where we pray for others. You know, oh Lord, bless this person, grant them healing according to your will. Again, second commandment, using God's name 
to bless others. And then D, they list as thanksgiving in which we express our gratitude to God and his gifts. There's no point, even on our worst day, right, where, where it's inappropriate to give thanks. Now, don't hear that as, well, you know, when you're having a really crappy day, you better give thanks or else. It's not that. No, it's just that we have such a good, gracious God that even when everything has fallen apart or fallen apart, he doesn't change. And his mercies are new every morning. And, and even on your worst day, you have to remember, Christ is still crucified, risen, and ascended for you. And, and God has shown you the ultimate favor and blessing in Christ because his blood covers your sin. His promises remain true even when it's a bad day. And so we can, we can go to God in thanksgiving at all times. And then there's the last two here, lamentation or complaint. That's one together. That's letter E in which we express our sorrows to God. And, you know, this goes back to the young lady you brought up. And we can go to God w- with, our, with our complaints and he's going to listen. And he's not going to tell anyone. And we can look at this world and, and say, oh, you know, everything is just going to pot. This is so bad. We live in such a sinful world. And the Lord assures us. I know what I've taken care of that. In fact, Jesus tells us in John 16, take heart for I've overcome the world. You know, you're going to have tribulation in this world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And then this last, last letter, letter F is praise or adoration in which we extol God's wonderful deeds and qualities. Again, it's never wrong to give God thanks and praise because he's always worthy of it. And, and you know, you want to be motivated to thank and praise God. Just think of what he's done for you in Christ and what he, what he has done to, for you and gives to you by his spirit and his word and sacrament, that we have this blessed forgiveness, life, and salvation given to us in word, baptism, absolution, and that we receive from the altar, from Christ himself as he feeds us his flesh and blood in and under bread and wine for our forgiveness, life, and salvation, our peace, our rest. That's just beautiful. That's wonderful. Pastor Tyson Bibb of Trinity Lutheran Church in Norburn, Missouri, clearly confessing the truth of God and prayer from the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Pastor Bibb, thank you for your faithful teaching with us on Concord Matters. Oh, thank you. Thanks be to God. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.